may you be reminded of his presence. And that the God who called you is faithful to do what he called you to do. He will do it through you. Before I begin my message this morning, I want to let you know that uh, I've been to Haiti three times. And every time I go, my life is transformed to a whole nother level. As I go and spend time with people who materially may have less than I do, but spiritually, they seem to have so much more. And the joy of the Lord is their strength. Not many of the mundane trappings we get caught up in to try to find strength. And so the way God works it is that those of us who have power, as we go and serve the powerless, they end up giving us more than we could ever give them. And now I have relationships with people there who've touched my life. There are people in this church and people who've come through this church who serve Haiti, and they'll tell you that those are some of the most beautiful people, most brilliant people in the world. I've been to Africa probably six, seven times. I've lost count. My brother Larry Warren took me for the first time when I went to West Africa, went to Benin to hear president of Benin apologize for Africa's role in the slave trade and how Africans captured Africans and sold Africans and he wanted to have it go on record that he was sorry for what happened in generations past and I've been to Malawi and South Africa Ghana uh, Nigeria and it's the same what a blessed country where my ancestors come from. So I just wanted to be said today, for those of us who have ties to Haiti, ties to various countries in Africa, that we are so sorry for the shameful things that the President of the United States said against those countries. And it's our goal, our desire to bind up the brokenhearted and to let you know that God is the God of the nations and he loves you. He loves you. You may be last, but the Lord says you're first. And so we give you honor today and we denounce the harmful, hateful, bigoted rhetoric of the President of the United States. We love him. We pray for him. But we do not agree with what was said. So just hear it from me, your pastor. We love you, and God loves Haiti, and God loves every country in Africa. Amen. And finally, uh, you, you heard on the announcements that tomorrow morning at 11 in Franklin, there'll be a multi-church service. Uh, getting together at the historic First Missionary Baptist Church for a short program. And from there, uh, those of us who are in attendance will march to the square. And, um, and they've asked me to give an address, which will be brief because of the cold. 
outside uh, to the people who march. But then tomorrow night, here at 6 o'clock, you've heard us talking about this, uh, the King Awards. It's our way to honor people, to give honor to whom honor is due. Many of the people, if not all of them, would never ever want to be acknowledged publicly for what they do in the trenches serving people. Um, but we want to take a moment just to say, not only does God see you, we see you, and we want to honor you. And so tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, um, we're going to have a program where our children are going to have praise dance, and uh, our singers that you heard tonight are going to be ministering. Um, there's going to be video um, showing Dr. King various points of his uh, ministry, and, uh, and Elder Paul Revere is our MC, and we've invited people from all over the city, all over the area, to come. And uh, we sent out press releases, and uh, we're expecting a good crowd. Uh, but Strong Tower Bible Church, hear me when I say this. Hear me when I say this. If you invite people to your house, it's rude if you're not there to welcome them. So don't let the community come up in here and you're not here because you figured it's a holiday and you just want to stay home. Um, if you do one thing, come out tomorrow because it's going to bless you. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the honorees, well, two of them, as you know, attend Strong Tower, and one of them is visiting this morning. My friend and colleague from Leadership Nashville, but more so my brother in Christ Jesus, Dr. Morgan Wills is here. Morgan, would you stand, please? I know he doesn't want to. Amen. Love you, man. Love you, man. Oh, my. This brother right here in the Salome Clinic, do more to help refugees in this city than any other agency or organization, to help them medically, um, to disciple them, to pray with them. Um, I don't even know the astronomical number of how many languages are spoken in Nashville, but so many of those folks who don't have uh, access to health care, they come through that clinic by the hundreds every week, and they serve the people uh, as if they were serving Jesus Christ himself. And uh, I'm just honored to be able to Bless this brother tomorrow, and uh, along with uh, another one of my homeboys who works with the police department, who's a deputy chief, John Drake. Uh, police get so much of a bad rap, and in some cases they should. They should be held to a higher level of accountability. But we should also call attention to police who are doing it the right way. And John Drake is one of those police officers that we're also going to highlight tomorrow. And then our sister, Natalie, who was one of the early members of Strong Tower Bible Church, Natalie Grant. Uh, we're going to also honor her for her work that she does to stop human trafficking around the globe. And uh, in addition, Elder Clifton Harris and his work amongst the poor, and Dr. Mona Ivy Soto, her work as a professor and a teacher, especially as it pertains to social justice. So it's going to be a great night, and I hope to see you there. And don't tell me uh, uh, you don't have anything to wear. Uh, uh, just put on, you know, because we, we got a red carpet down here. We're going to have a photographer. There's going to be cake and punch. It's going to be a gala, all right? So get dressed up, have some fun, come on out, learn something, be inspired. So that's the plug. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands uh, who's coming tomorrow night. Uh, but I know if I did, there'd probably be 95% in this room, amen, because some folk got to work. I understand that. They, they didn't give you the day off. But if you have the day off, 6 o'clock tomorrow, and be here a little bit early. 
I'll walk right in at 6. Be here a little bit early. All right. Turning your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 34. I think I can do this in 20 minutes. And then we'll close with song today. Close with song. Let me pray. What an exciting time to be alive. More so, what an exciting time to be alive in Christ Jesus. Lord, may it be said of us, what it was said of David in the book of Acts, that he fell asleep after he served God in his generation. May it be said of us, Lord, that we have served you in our generation. May we not be the kind who sit back and wait to be served, but may we follow the example of our King Jesus who told us to serve. And so, Lord, I pray that we would know our purpose of why we're here and what we're called to do and be about. That, yes, we would enjoy the fruit of the land and how you've blessed us so to enjoy all of the things you've given to us. But may we not just be people who look to enjoy blessings. May we be people who look to bestow blessings. I pray, Lord, for a revival of servanthood in our church. And even as my elder prayed, even a revival of generosity. Thank you for all of the people who were served over the Christmas holiday uh, just to get a little something special to let them know that they are very special. Thank you, Lord, for the men and women seated under the sound of my voice. Help me to be a good steward of your word. Help me to stay in line with the things that you've written. But thank you that you allow my personality to enter in because, Lord, you've given me a gift and a calling that's unique to others. So help me, Lord, to be faithful, to honor you with the calling that is on my life here and through Strong Tower Bible Church. Even when other people don't understand, even when other people may heckle and ridicule and even persecute, may we stand and haven't done everything to stand. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. On April 3rd, 1968, the year in which I was born, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered what would be his last speech. And he delivered this speech at Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee. And the very next day, April 4th, 1968, a little bit after 6 o'clock p.m., while standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, he was assassinated. But if you were to go back, and listen to the speech that he gave on April 3rd. You would be mesmerized and blown away because of the history that he outlined concerning the civil rights movement, but above all, in a simple and profound way, how he was able to engage the eternal. And the people were caught up in a euphoric moment not knowing that would be his last speech, but heaven came down on April 3rd. And after he finished the speech, he gave everything that he could because he was battling a cold. And the rain was so torrential that night, but he came out and he spoke without notes. And after giving everything that he had, he collapsed into the arms of one of his friends. That sermon, that speech has been called, I've been to the mountaintop. And that speech was prophetic. 
Dr. King said that God allowed him to go to the mountaintop where he was able to look over and see the promised land. Because since 1955, he had been leading a movement to see America live up to the ideals of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. He had been leading this movement to try to see the nation be true to what it said on paper, that God created all men as equal and all men should have access to the same places of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So he was knocking down barriers of discrimination, he and the throngs of people with him one after another, and as he got to that night, April 3rd, he just outlined where the movement had come from. But he said, rather emphatically, I may not get to the next phase with you, but God, in a figurative sense, has taken me up to the mountaintop, and I've looked over, and I've seen where you're going. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that we as a people will get to the promised land. Now, when I first heard this speech, I was in my early 20s. And I didn't catch the connection that Dr. King was making from Scripture about Moses' life. I, I, didn't, I didn't catch the connection. And there may be some people here today who are going to get the connection for the first time this morning because Dr. King made a comparison of himself to Moses who also went up to the mountaintop, literally. So let me read Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 8. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. I never put the connection together. That as Moses went up to the mountaintop and God showed him the promised land, God would let him see it, but he wouldn't let him enter it. And generations later, Martin Luther King would say that God took him on a similar journey figuratively that he would allow him to look over and see where we are today, but he would not be able to enter it. 
Today, give me a moment just to talk about two men on the mountaintop. Two men on the mountaintop. Besides sharing a final mountaintop experience, because Moses would die on the mountain after he saw the promised land, and the next day Martin Luther King would die after the Lord showed him the promised land. Uh, both of these mighty men of God had several things in common. Today I'm just going to share a few with you of how they had so many similarities that it's almost uncanny. But before I proceed, I am mindful that a few of you may be uncomfortable that I'm talking about Dr. King from this pulpit and even comparing him to Moses. Believe me, I understand your apprehension. But I am reminded of what Jesus said about John the Baptist. We love John the Baptist, or we call him JB. We love JB. But in his day, JB was not loved by the masses. John the Baptist was disliked, even hated. He was a lightning rod of controversy, which is why Jesus said, if you are willing to receive it, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. What's the whole point? The Jews understood that before the Messiah came, Elijah would come as a forerunner before the Messiah so that the hearts of the fathers could turn to the children and the hearts of the children could turn to the fathers. And the only way hearts can turn is if someone preaches repentance. And so people who didn't want to accept Jesus also didn't want to accept the forerunner who came in the spirit of Elijah. And so Jesus is making a comparison saying that before the Messiah comes. God is going to send the forerunner. And if you are willing to receive it, it was John the Baptist. So Jesus was making a comparison between John the Baptist and Elijah because they had similar things concerning their approach to ministry as prophets. And when the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, he, your son, J.B., John the Baptist, will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's not Elijah, but he's like Elijah. So based on these scriptures, I believe I have the exegetical freedom to make a comparison between Moses, the great lawgiver, and Martin Luther King Jr., the great drum major for justice. And like Jesus said to his audience, I say to you, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. So let me give you just a couple. As I was researching, I came across 14 similarities. I want to give you a few today. Number one, their names. Their names were prophetic. Moses, when he was born, he was born as a slave in Egypt. He was born to oppressed people, people who had been in bondage for hundreds of years. And when he was born, you know the story, his parents hid him for three months 
Three months. Why? Because there was an edict to kill the boys. So for three months, mom and dad are trying to hide this boy. And here is what I believe. More than likely, he received a Hebrew name from his Hebrew parents. Because Moses is not a Hebrew name. It was a name given to him by the Egyptians. So I believe that when they had this child, they named him. We just don't know what his Hebrew name was. And when Pharaoh's daughter found him in the Nile, she named him Moses, which means to draw out. Because she drew him out of the Nile. She didn't know what she was saying when she named him in the natural. Because in the spiritual and in the prophetic, he would be the one who would draw Israel out of Egypt towards the promised land. So his name spoke of his destiny and his purpose. Moses, draw out through the exodus. Well, what about Dr. King? Well, at birth, many people don't know this, but Dr. King was named Michael King. Michael King Jr. after his father, but at the age of five. His father traveled to Germany and was inspired by the Protestant Reformation leader, Martin Luther. And as a result, Daddy King came back to America, changed his name and his son's name from Michael to Martin Luther King Sr. and Jr. And prophetically, Martin Luther King Jr. would give his life protesting injustice and reforming the church's approach to social engagement. Oh, you can't make this stuff up. Well, what about their siblings? Moses had a sister and a brother. His older sister was named Miriam, and his older brother was named Aaron. Martin Luther King had a sister and a brother. His older sister was named Christine, and his younger brother was named Alfred Daniels, or A.D. So both of them had two siblings each, one brother, one sister. Thirdly, their education. Moses received the best education in the land. He was first educated by his Hebrew parents, Amram and Jochebed. So mom and dad taught their son. How could they teach a three-month-old? Well, if you know the story, after Pharaoh's daughter found baby Moses, Miriam, who was an attendant to Pharaoh's daughter, said to Pharaoh's daughter, would you like for me to find one of the Hebrew slave women to nurse this child uh, uh, for you. And she, Pharaoh's daughter, says, go right ahead. And the Bible says Miriam went and found Moses' mother, and Moses' mother not only nursed her son, the one she put in the Nile, God gave him back. And not only are you going to nurse him, but I'm going to pay you to nurse your own child. Oh, that's supernatural. So they raised him up which would allow him to understand his Hebrew identity. He was raised amongst slaves, and he was able to hear about the God of his ancestors. And he learned about his patriarchal fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after he was reared in the Hebrew traditions and even learning their language, he was then, according to the book of Acts, chapter 7, he was given education through Egypt. And so he's getting the best education in the land. And so 
This Moses, the Bible says, Acts 7, verse 22, he became powerful in speech and in action because of his education. But God was setting him up to have that dual understanding of the people that he comes from so that he could understand their burdens and the people he had to talk to to free his people from those burdens. Just like Paul, who had a citizenship as a Roman, yet he was Jewish. God was setting it up to have this Jew to be able to go across the world and preach the gospel with this visa, this passport called Roman citizenship. God knows what he's doing with these people's lives, and he knows what he's doing with your life. Who you were raised by is no accident. Who you were born to is no accident. Where you got your education is no accident. The question is, are you using what you've been given? Dr. King was such a gifted student that he skipped grades 9 and 12 before entering Morehouse College, which is a historically black college. And he entered college at the age of 15. And after graduating with a degree in sociology, he earned a divinity degree from Crozer Theological Seminary and was the class president and valedictorian. He went on to earn his PhD from Boston University in 1955. He used his education to help other people. What about their wives? Well, at the age of 40, Moses married Zipporah, an Ethiopian black African woman. Oh, if I had time, if I had time, if I had time. He was Hebrew, and the Bible says he married Zipporah, who was a Cushite, or translated in Ethiopian. Her father was Jethro, the priest of Midian, and so her lineage is traced back to Adam through Noah's son, Ham, whereas Moses' lineage is traced back to Adam through Noah's son, Shem. But God brought these two people together even though some people didn't like this kind of cross-racial marriage back in the day. No, it's quiet up in here. Because even his own family said, uh, Moses, what you doing marrying that black woman? God came down and said, okay, you're focusing so much on skin color. I'll tell you what, I'm going to turn Miriam, the ring, re the, the, the ring leader, I'm going to turn her skin white since she have a problem with dark skin. I'm going to turn her brown skin to white skin. And so he married a black woman. Dr. King, though he dated a white woman in college, uh, grad school rather, and it got pretty serious. People told him, we don't know if the world will understand if you marry a white woman. Now this was back in the early days, but there's still some ignorant people who say those kind of things in 2018. Yeah, count the costs. Don't marry anybody from another quote-unquote race because you're suspicious or curious. I hope you marry them because you love them. Because in the New Testament, the only distinction that God gives us about who we marry is that the person is in the Lord or they're not in the Lord. But some Christians would rather have their child marry somebody of the same so-called race who don't know God as opposed to marrying somebody of a different race who does know God. The issue is, do they know God? My goodness. Oh, it's quiet, but I'm going to keep moving anyway. Coretta Scott King proved to be a strong, supportive, and influential woman. Because what I didn't mention about Moses is that his wife saved his life one day. 
He didn't do what God called him to do. And the Bible says God was looking for him to kill him. But she stood in the way. And she did what he was supposed to do in terms of circumcising their children. He didn't do it. But his wife stepped in. Coretta stepped in many times to support Dr. King when he was falling down. And after his death, Coretta became active in the women's movement. She founded the King Center in Atlanta. She opposed apartheid, and she succeeded in getting legislation to make Martin Luther King Jr. Day a national holiday in 1983. Well, let me move on to their faith. Moses had a dramatic encounter with God at the age of 80 on Mount Horeb when God appeared to him in the burning bush. Moses' life can be measured in three 40-year periods. 40 years he lived in Egypt, then 40 years he lived in Midian where he got his wife and his children, and then 40 years when he led the children of Israel through the wilderness in circles. But at the age of 80, before he would go forth and lead them for 40 years, God met him as he was tending sheep on the backside of the mountain through the burning bush. And it was that dramatic encounter with God that changed his life forever. Dr. King, though he was the son and grandson of preachers, Dr. King questioned many things about Christianity. But when his house was bombed, he had a very dramatic encounter with God at his kitchen table. And it was at that point where he said, basically, my mommy and daddy told me about you. I even preached about you. But now I know you for myself. Have you had that encounter with Jesus yet? Have you had a burning bush or a kitchen table conversation where you met the Lord and he met you and you knew it and you were changed from the inside out because his spirit came into you? If you haven't had that encounter, our God stands ready now to meet you. You don't have to come forward at the end of the church. That's great. You can meet him in your car. You can meet him at a restaurant. You can meet him at the foot of your bed. You can meet him in your study. You can meet the Lord anywhere, anytime. But it begins with your heart. Pastor, what about their writings? Well, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, five books. How many books do you think Dr. King wrote himself, even though many others are attributed to him? He actually wrote five books. Strides toward freedom, why we can't wait, the measure of a man, strength to love, and where do we go from here? Both men wrote five books. They both had flaws. The Bible records that Moses was a murderer. And Moses, though he was the meekest man who ever walked the earth, the opposite extreme was he had a temper. And Moses could hurt you. So when he murdered this Egyptian, and I wish I had time to go into this, there's a chance he murdered him with his bare hands. He had a temper. He had a temper problem. That was a flaw. The man who was so meek that when people would come against him would fall down on his face and pray for him. And when God wanted to destroy his enemies, Moses would say, Lord, don't do that. Have mercy. But Moses wasn't always holy every day. Because when he came off that mountain, having been up there for 40 days, and he saw the folks having an orgy in the valley, that brother took the Ten Commandments that had just been made, brand new, fresh off the presses, and threw them puppies down. And later, when God wrote another set, God kept reminding him, 
Remember the tablets you broke? Remember the tablets you broke? Because he has a temper. And some of y'all have a temper problem. Some stuff going on, you throwing stuff, punching stuff, cussing stuff, stomping stuff, road rage. Oh, Moses' temper was so bad, God said, man, listen here now. I, need, I know these people are frustrating you, but talk to the rock to get some water. That brother said, all right, I'll tell y'all what, y'all a bunch of rebels, and he struck that rock twice. And because of that sin, God said, Moses, you didn't honor me in front of the people. I hold leaders to a higher level of accountability. I can't let you in the promised land because of that. Because if God disciplines his leaders, it ought to cause fear to spread amongst the congregants to say that he's no respecter of persons. And if God dealt with his leader, he'll deal with us. God says, I'm going to be holy in front of these people. But what about Dr. King? And I'm going to close here. Again, there's so much I wish I could say. Though he was an advocate of nonviolence, King was no coward. He also had a temper problem. He was no punk. He said that the angriest he had ever become was when he first experienced racism at the age of 15. So he dealt with that. And it's amazing that the Holy Spirit gave him the ability to not strike back when he would be struck, literally. 23 years after his death, an academic inquiry was made showing that portions of his dissertation were plagiarized in that he did not adequately cite his sources. When I read this, 23 years, I'm like, why are they going back? Because it may be the goal of some to discredit the work that was done. If we can find a flaw, a, a chip in the character, maybe that will discredit the work and I can feel better about being prejudiced and being a racist. If I can tear down the instrument God used. But, but I got news for you. Every instrument that God uses is flawed. And if they were to go back on each and every one of us up in here, they'd find some stuff. But that's why we depend on the blood. Oh, y'all don't hear me up in here, Strong Tower. The blood. Next time we take communion, I want to challenge you to do this. After we take the bread, you take the cup, and you lift that cup under your, over your head, and therefore everything under the blood is covered by Jesus Christ. You and all of your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And no, we don't need to talk about his infidelity and the wiretapping by the FBI. He was wrong just like so many other men and women that God has used, is that an excuse to go forth in sin? No. But it is a picture of how good our God is to use people who are not so good. So that when you look at them or to them, you can look through them and see the God who's holding them up. But they both died after having been on the mountaintop. They both died seeing the land, but not being able to go into the land. God buried Moses so that no one could find his grave and worship him. God buried him. 
He had strength and vitality. But God says your time is up because this is not about you. This is about me. And it's time for Joshua now to take the reins. I'll work through a man, but I don't need a man. Dr. King on April 3rd must have had a premonition in his spirit that he wasn't going to make it. And he said in that speech, long life, longevity has its place. He said, I'd like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned with that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but we as a people, black people, brown people, white people, we'll get there together. And then he died the next day. Well, God used two men to liberate his people at different points in history. They had so much in common. Our lives are forever changed because of their commitment to God and their diligence to serve his people. But as the worship team comes back, we're going to close with this song. But as great as Moses was, there's somebody greater. As great as Dr. King was, there's somebody greater. We acknowledge them, we honor them, but we don't worship them. Why? Because there's somebody greater. God never called me to be like Moses or to be like Martin Luther King. I can learn from both of them and I should, but God has called me to be like his son, Jesus Christ, the one who is greater. So stand with me on your feet today with our eyes on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said that Moses was faithful in the house of God. But he said that Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Dr. King. Let's worship him. There's nobody greater.